Hey, welcome to Off Air. It's your weekly podcast where two media professionals, Nick Stewart and myself, Tim Rubin, pull apart the top three stories of the week. They're our favorite stories and they're the stories that we think you need to know about. Plus, uh, we've got a Facebook group, so you can actually be a part of the podcast every week. It's private, so you can comment in there without your friends and your mum seeing. Search Off Air Podcast Community to get involved. This week, we're going to be jumping into Peter telling farmers to stop animal cruelty against mice. Uh, NFTs, the controversial internet art form that has people talking, and the $50 million fine that Telstra picked up that you might not have heard about. Let's get into it. Welcome to Off Air. What is our mandate? Tim Rubin. It's super creepy to reanimate somebody's dead father for their birthday. Nick Stewart. I really leaned into trying to get radicalised by ISIS. You're listening to Off Air. I believe it's this. Okay, we're recording? We're on, my friend. Nick, this is the last episode before we see each other in person (laughs) for the first... How many... I think we've seen each other once in four years. We have not seen each other definitely since this podcast started. It's been no. at least two years. So, I'm, I'm, mate, I'm very excited. I'm so stoked you're coming up to visit me. Uh, I've organized a barbecue for you. You're going to catch up with some of my friends so you, you know some people before I get married. Uh, you're going to annoy my, my fiancé, Jazz, by hanging around the house for two days and working in my study. Working, working from home. <laughs> yeah. How weird. Do you think that that confuses people, that we haven't actually seen each other in person? Because we see each other. Like, for people who don't know, if you've just tuned in recently, um, I'm in Melbourne now. Mm. I was in Bendigo previously. Nick's in Toowoomba. We met in Townsville doing radio five years ago. Yeah, it's a scary amount of time. But Mm -hmm. I think it would be a bit confusing. But at the same time, we've all been thrust into this situation over the past year and a half where we've Mm. all all had to have digital relationships. But you and I still speak. A lot. Even before we did the podcast, we would speak probably at least once a week, have a really good long conversation. It was actually a catalyst for us making this. You said we may as well record it. I said, well, I'm going to have to say a lot less controversial shit. (laughs) (laughs) What if we just see each other and we're like, nah, I'm not feeling it anymore. (laughs) I've thought about it. I've considered. I'm more in Townsville. (laughs) This guy's kind of an asshole. (laughs) 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 I think it'll be all right. I I I already know how annoying you are, Tim, so it's not going to change my perspective of you whatsoever. (laughs) Also, I think the thing that people really want to know is, are we going to get to do jujitsu together? I want to know that. I asked you last week, are you back on the mats yet? I haven't gotten back since the back injury, but I'd be Good. happy to come and do a session at your place. Good. I can't bring my outfit, my gi, because it's too big. Can't That's bring the like PJs. Your... We've got spare gis. We've got spare okay. gis there. They'll be a bit stiff, but that's all right. That's... So am I. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm so pumped. I'm so excited we get to have a roll together. Are we going to roll together? For anyone who doesn't do jujitsu, rolling is sort of like sparring. It's at the end of the end of the lesson. You spend about half an hour really wrestling, essentially. Fighting. Yeah. Yeah. We can have a fight. Oh, it's on. And then we'll record a podcast the next day, which we'll be able to do in person. And there'll be palpable tension. (laughs) Well, that depends on how the sparring goes. (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe it will be like there'll be a victor and the other person will, like, I'll just be much quieter next week. (laughs) I'm just really submissive. I'm like, Nick, if if you want to, do you have any stories? If you could, please. You're you're assuming a lot in that, Tim, because you started before me. and, And I know how, like... 
I've been off for a while. You're rascally too. I can imagine you're the type of guy that uses elbows and to like grind. I do use elbows. Yeah, you grind into people's pressure points and stuff. I got told off in my first couple of weeks for straight up hand strangling people for just going two <laughs> hands around the throat. I was like, that's a joke. And they're like, no, nah, it's not really recommended. <laughs> like Homer Simpson, Bart yeah, Simpson yeah, yeah. Was, that was my technique. In yeah. fairness, I rolled with my professor. And sorry, this is a lot of jujitsu chat already. I rolled with my professor last night and he just straight out forearm in the throat choked me. And I was like, is See? he is he teaching me a lesson? What am I trying to learn? Because <laughs> he was laughing while he was doing it. You are. <laughs> I think he was. I think he's like, See, this is what you look like. <laughs> <laughs> Story number one. Peter, the animal rights group has made the news today after it's asked Australian farmers to please stop killing mice. Regional Australia faces an ongoing rodent infestation that is soon going to have caused $100 million worth of damage nationally. And basically, at the moment, the farmers are doing whatever they can to battle it. Peter have said that these innocent creatures shouldn't be denied their right to food and that poisoning them promotes the notion of human supremacy. Nick, you've been doing a a little bit of farm work lately. (laughs) You poisoned any mice? I haven't seen... Actually, yes. Well, I didn't personally, but a farm I was on recently, uh, they were having a bit of a problem with mice, which scared the shit out of one of my other friends who was deathly afraid. And when he got told we had to go check the mouse traps, he was like, I am out of here. Fuck farming. And Um, not even even check the mouse trap like at home. Like, oh, we got one. No, no. These are giant vats of dead mice. Oh, we got got 45,000 today. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's crazy, isn't it? I mean... Wild statement from Peter, but mm. it's to be expected. It reminds me, have you ever heard the the fable? Uh, I think it's the turtle and the frog or the scorpion and the frog. And no. it's, it's, it's about the fact, I think it started in Russia and loosely it's about the fact a scorpion wants to cross a river, but it can't swim. So it asks the frog to carry it across. The frog is obviously like scared because it's a scorpion. scorpion. So he says, hey, you know, could you, if I do this for you, could you not sting me? Uh, and the scorpion says he wouldn't sting him because if he did, he'd go into the river and drown. Frog considers that, says, okay, lets the scorpion on his back. They start swimming. Midway through, the scorpion stings the frog anyway, and they both die. Uh, as the frog is dying, it asks the scorpion why it stung it, despite knowing the consequences. And the scorpion replies, I couldn't help it. It's in my nature. And that is exactly the case with this with Peter. Of course, Peter are going to say something stupid because that's what Peter do. We ex- we, we should expect this from them. I love the build-up. I love the build-up and I'm so here for it. That's yeah. the, that, it's as simple as that. This is the kind of outlandish, ridiculous shit that Peter do that gets them headlines so that people know Peter exists. So I don't even know. If, do you think they genuinely in their heart of hearts believe that we're going to somehow rehome billions of rats? Well, and and that is literally what they suggested, by the way. They suggested that the mice and rats are humanely caught and gently released. And I would love for them to just keep on going with that plan and explain to me where (laughs) where that's going to happen, which... Which town in Australia is going to be like, yeah, bring them here. Like, just <laughs> unload the trucks. We don't even want to deal with people returning from overseas no. in quarantine situations, let alone the rats. <laughs> I, think that, I think that these people from Peter do genuinely think that. 
do you think that they realize, because here's the thing, like the animal rights movement is important. And I think that there are some major problems going on in the world, uh, particularly around animal agriculture, around uh, like deforestation and destroying hundreds, thousands of hectares of animal environments. Um, There are pretty important conversations that need to happen. And there are pretty important governmental actions that should be and need to be taken. Mm. Do they realize how heavily conversations like this completely degrade their entire argument? Because I can't imagine how if you are, you know, a regular uh, animal rights, not not activist, but someone who cares about the lives of animals, how could you align with Peter after they have an argument like this? Well, and there's a crazy extra point to put on that, Tim. And this is going to surprise quite a few people that live in cities and 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 take part in extinction rebellion marches and things like that. People that live on the land care about the land. Yeah. They're actually very passionate advocates for the environment. Mm. Generally, most farmers are. And and quite often that's a big part of the reason they've gotten involved in that. So quite, in, in these situations, quite often I will defer to farmers in the same way that when I need open heart surgery, I defer to a doctor or a heart surgeon. Right. And I think that's where a lot of these messages get lost is it's people who feel like they're doing a good thing, uh, but they've never really been exposed to a rural lifestyle or a rural setting. And, and I agree with you. There is definitely major problems with battery farming and, and the negative impacts that farming on mass scale can have with the environment. But I also agree with you that this completely erodes those arguments and it makes people look ridiculous. It's the same, it's the same thing that the Greens do um, in federal parliament when they, when they go and actively try to, like the, half the reason the Labor Party lost the last election was because of Bob Brown's green bus that drove through regional Queensland and tried to tell everyone they needed to lose their jobs. And it's, yeah, right. it's, it's like, yes, you're making an extreme point, but... You are, to use your analogy, Tim, of flying between point A and B and you're rarely on the right path. This yeah. is taking it at a 180 in the, in the opposite direction. Right. So I just think it's, it's annoying and it's frustrating. It's also, though, the media that then perpetuates this. Well, 100%, because I'm sure that Peter put out statements or make Facebook posts. I mean, this probably really came from a Facebook post or something originally. Mm. I don't think that Peter have hired a skywriter and are trying to get this message out <laughs> as hard as they can. I woke up this morning and it was at the very top of news.com.au. So in a similar way to the fact that we've seen cancel culture stories absolutely explode because they're so ridiculous, there's yeah. probably a good chance that the media has gone, oh, yeah, we're going to get a lot of clicks if we talk about, if, if we put this right at the top. And to be fair, it got me clicking and it got me wanting to talk about it with you. So well done, news.com.au. I love that they uh, put a poll on those articles as well. I don't know yeah. if you clicked on the poll. but I didn't because I didn't need to see the 99 to 1. It was literally 99 to 1% in favor of killing the mice. Mm. And there was like 18,000 votes. It was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I was Good like, yeah, I know. Well done. <laughs> 
I okay. So just for the sake of playing devil's advocate, yeah. you and I have both dabbled in veganism, ve- vegetarianism. Yes. It's something that is an ongoing thing for for both of us in our lives, as I think it should be in a lot of people's lives. Not, I'm not saying you need to be a vegan or a vegetarian, but I'm saying that you should always, I think, be looking at yourself and thinking about your impact, your carbon footprint, your impact on the planet. Um, and this is something that we both talk about and, and do in our lives. Are we hypocrites? If you are we hypocrites for saying, yeah, this is absolutely bullshit. Who cares? When we are talking about, you know, tens of probably more than ten. They didn't have any numbers on the number of mice being it would, killed. I reckon, it, would, it would have to be hundreds. It would of be millions, in the millions. Think, yeah. Um, no, we're not. And I was thinking about this because I saw uh, the post you put up on Off Air Community. Um, group the facebook the little facebook community we have i love it i'm sorry i don't know i never get the name right (laughs) but and i and i saw the word inhumane used quite a few times um Mm -hmm. i think both from yourself and people commenting and to me it made me say well inhumane is a scale what I find inhumane is probably different to what other people find inhumane and what, what other people from other cultures might find inhumane. And I don't think it's hypocritical to say you should be lessening your environmental footprint and you should be culling pests that actually erode the land because that's what these things are doing. And yes, they didn't yeah. have a say in it and they were brought into this world uh, and, and probably in part because of, because of humans. But you have to do what is best for the environment overall. And that is definitely culling these animals because they're having seriously negative effects on the land and on farming. So One thing that we kill shit, man, it happens. Yeah, I know it's a it's... really sad thing, but, uh, every, every single second, there's an edible dying somewhere. <laughs> As there is a person. Yeah. Speaking about that relationship of uh, people dying and, and humans dying. One thing that Peter said was that this promotes human supremacy. Well, we are. We won that war, too. This team. is the thing. Yeah. Is that necessarily a bad thing? I mean, like, if you say to me, okay, we've got a mouse in a cage over there and we've got a kid in a cage over there, one of them is going to get poisoned. Yes, 100%. Human supremacy. That's a thing. Aren't you supposed to be sticking up for your species? Yeah. Well, that's very uh, speciest of you, Tim. Um... Yeah, no, fuck them. Like, <laughs> yes. And you can times that number by uh, by a thousand. If you say there's a thousand mice and one human child, I will put that human child's life over really any any animal's life. You can replace that with a chimpanzee or a blue whale. I don't care. I'll put a human life over an animal life every day. Oh, is that supposed to make us feel bad? Like, what, since when is human supremacy a negative term? No, I know. I think they just live in another realm, man. They live it. They live in a completely different realm because the majority of environmental activism that actually happens is still based on getting the best outcome for us. Like the reason we want to save bees is so that humans stay alive. It's not because we yeah, think right. bees are cool. Like at the at the root <laughs> of everything, we're still trying to perpetuate the human species. So I don't think there is anything wrong with being a human supremacist. Uh, <laughs> I'm a, well, great, because I wear that badge with pride. I'm a, it's not even supremacist, supremacists. Yeah, we, supre- are, we are human supremacists, yeah. Off air... Australia's number one human supremacy podcast. <laughs> Man, that's probably gonna, number two. There's that, probably a better one. Yeah, exactly. That's really going to piss off the dolphins when they come round and work yes. out how to rape people on land as opposed to just in the sea. <laughs> Story number two. There's a fresh debate plaguing the internet, and I actually wanted to hash it out with you, Nick. 
And it all revolves around an interesting, contentious new form of internet art called an NFT. So if you don't know, NFT stands for non-fungible token. That's fungible like plungible. And an NFT is usually a type of digital artwork that's bought online. And what makes it special is when you buy it, you receive a receipt using blockchain technology, which is what supports cryptocurrency. And basically, it is undisputable that from that point on, you own that image. Mm. Now, to clarify, the image is digital. So you only have it on your phone or your computer screen. Anyone else can see the image as well on their phone or computer screen. They see it at the exact same resolution as you see it, but it can't be disputed that you own it. Now, what people are loving about NFTs is that it's opening up the art world um, for digital artists and making digital art accessible to people everywhere. But what they aren't happy about is the insane amount of energy needed to support it as a system. And that's due to the blockchain that it often uses. Nick, have you dove into the NFT world so far? Uh, I haven't invested, Tim. I'm aware I'm aware of their existence. Though. In what is possibly the most 2021 statement ever said by anyone ever, I actually heard the best explanation around NFTs and the reason for buying them in a clubhouse room on the clubhouse app between oh, okay. yeah, between Tim Dillon and Jake Paul. <laughs> they were oh, discussing okay. them. And, and Clubhouse is an app. So just we're getting super techy. Uh, Clubhouse is an app. It's kind of like a live podcast app, and you can go on and you can hear people having conversations. Yeah. Who's Tim Dillon? Uh, he's a, an American comedian and conspiracy. He's a conspiracy theorist as well. You would know him. He appeared on the latest Joe Rogan podcast with Alex Jones. He was the uh, other guy oh, with Alex guy. Jones. Yeah. Okay. So, All right. So how did they describe it? Well. They basically exactly how you did, but Jake Paul was making the point that for his generation or very young people, it's, it's the best way to say it is it's just fucking clout chasing. It's just a way for you to be able to say, I own this video of LeBron James dunking, or I own this digital copy of Banksy's artwork. It's basically a way for you to say, I think it holds two, two key value points. One, you can use it to sound like a dickhead. And two, it's a way for you to exchange wealth. Just like uh, with Gary V, how he has pumped up the sports cards uh, industry. This is mm -hmm. a way for you to continue to hold on to wealth, just like maybe buying gold was back in the day. The thing I don't understand about it is, you know, one of the first things you learn about when you're studying economics is scarcity. And there is no point of scarcity on these. Because there is an unlimited amount of digital art that can be created. Well, but and also there is an unlimited, un, unlimited amount of consumption. Like I can, just because you were to own a video of LeBron James dunking, it still exists on YouTube. I yeah. can still go watch it on YouTube. There's no, you know, with, with priceless art, if some, if a family owns it and they put it in a art gallery or they put it in their house, there's only one, like to see the Mona Lisa, you have to go to the Louvre. You have to pay the money to get in the Louvre. You have to stand in line. You have to walk through to say that you've eyeballed it. Um, with an NFT, you don't have to do any of that. I can still get onto any other point of reference in Google and mm. get that art. And that's where I don't fully understand it. So uh, some of these NFTs have been going for 
incredible amounts. Mm. Um, uh, one of them was uh, sold at one of those very high art dealerships. I think it was the first one was sold for about $10 million last week. Also last week, um, the, there was a famous meme that was sold and it was a meme of, you probably know it. It's uh, a little girl smirking in front of a house that yep. is on fire. Have you seen that meme? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That meme was sold for 650,000 Australian dollars. Mm. But like you said, anyone is still able to see that meme in the exact same resolution. Do you think that this is a total fad? Because people are basically paying money. I still can't get my head around what you're getting other than the fact that you can say I own it. But do you reckon this is just going to evaporate in the next couple of in the next couple of years or months? I think what's curious is it's probably more telling of how afraid currently people with huge amounts of expendable income are of having cash, which is interesting. If you look at this, this is a way for you to invest your money. The only reason people are buying these is because they believe that they can sell it for a profit at a greater point. And if you look at internationally and specifically in Australia, how low interest is at the moment. Like the RBA is is less than 1% still. And, and what banks are giving you, I mean, if you put your money in a savings account, what, you're going to get 1.8%. You get fuck all. So mm-hmm. all these super rich people are looking at different types of assets that they can put their money in as opposed to simply having it in a bank. And that's where the correlation with... Um, uh, cryptocurrency is because it uses that same system of a universal mm. ledger that can be manipulated and recorded through, uh, you know, everyone. And so I think that's, what's more curious is how little and how unimportant money is becoming. Yeah. That's interesting. I, so the contentious part about NFTs and, and I really don't care if people want to invest in something that I don't personally think is going to have value in a year or not, mm. that, that doesn't really matter. But the contentious thing about these artworks is the way in which they are sold is so incredibly energy inefficient. And this goes Mm. with that whole cryptocurrency world. So a recent study found that the sale of an average NFT uses an equal amount of energy consumption of a person living for two months. (laughs) That's crazy, isn't it? (laughs) It's currently estimated that in order to carbon offset one NFT's existence, it costs $5,000. So, you know, when you get on a plane and it says, it says like, do you want to do a carbon offset? And it might be like $5 yeah, or $7 $7 or something. Yeah. Some random amount. Yeah. This is $5,000. That's probably about the same amount to carbon offset an entire flight. Mm. And then... Ethereum, which is uh, one of the technolo- the cryptocurrency that a lot of it is based on, currently is using the same amount of energy as Libya, the country. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> so that and Libya has seven million people in it. Yeah. So the question is: Is this uh, like even if we take away the economic question of is this a good investment or not? Should we be doing this or are we literally just lighting the world on fire for no reason now? I love that you've, you, you have a, you've said we because <laughs> I think <laughs> well, very unfortunately 
I, I okay. look, I know you, Tim Rubin, famous human supremacist, but <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, we do not get a say in this. No. We, the general population and 99% of humans on this planet have no, just like fine art, we're never going to touch this shit. It's, this is super rich person shit. What I think well, is more funny is like, generally you find uh, the uber wealthy, especially celebrities, uh, say that they are exceptionally environmentally conscious and then take several private jets a year and buy things like this. So it's more curious is like, are they aware of the hypocrisy of their actions? But I don't so, think this will be an everyday person thing. Well, I, surprisingly, you're actually wrong. Um, so what we've been speaking about are generally the very expensive NFTs that a lot of people know about, like the girl smirking yeah. in front of the house. But um, we put this on the Facebook group uh, off their podcast community. And I said, would you buy an NFT? Sarah said, no, I wouldn't at this stage. I think it's a phase. Uh, Justine said, I've got a few now. Huh. What's she got? Um, she, she said, they're fun. And it's an interesting market out there at the moment, but haven't put more money into buying one than I'd be happy to lose in a casino. It's all a gamble at the end of the day. She has actually shared, if you want to jump into the Facebook group, you can see, uh, I said, would you be happy to share what one of them looks like? And she shared an image. It's a digital artwork. I think it's of Ant-Man. It's of one of the um, superheroes from, from the Avengers or something like that. So there is actually a large number of NFT creation and, uh, and, and buying and selling for, for reasonable prices for a hundred dollars or for a couple of hundred dollars. And so there is an argument that it's allowing people like Justine, I used to work with Justine. Justine mm. is not, not a Bill Gates of the world, just a normal person. <laughs> um, well, I don't know. You really. might be Justine. Don't listen to him. I believe in you. But it is allowing normal people to get into the art world um, and to purchase things that they like. And I'm sure Justine feels passionately about that that superhero character, and that's mm. totally fine. I wonder if the majority of people who are picking up little bits and pieces are aware of the environmental impact. I would say that they probably aren't. I would agree with you. I actually um, think that most, because only recently Elon Musk brought to people's attention, the environmental impact of Bitcoin. And yeah. it had a pretty major effect on Bitcoin's share prices. So I don't think anyone has. And, you know, we don't fully understand. I think the every average Joe, myself included, doesn't put a lot of effort into fully understanding the blockchain technology and the process and the amount of computing that is, that is required to actually create that. So yep. I would agree with you. We just hear the buzzwords and but, but again, I, like my general rule of thumb with these things, and it's the same as when you uh, called me begging for us to put money into GameStop, oh. uh, <laughs> is by the time we know Which about did. them, it's too late. <laughs> I, I want to defend that and I want to be like, Nick, that didn't happen. You're throwing me under the bus. I did call Nick and say, should we put money into GameStop? Because it was going up so quickly. <laughs> and then it went down. <laughs> and then, well, and then they took it off the share market. But anyway. <laughs> What was, sorry, I got distracted by... Ultra rich people will always find ways to protect their money. And by the time, unfortunately, people like us who maybe don't prioritize or have access to as much money, by the time we know about it, it's too late. That's my general rule of thumb. And, and with, uh, in terms of making major profits, I think it's very interesting that Justine, she said it's a gamble. 
And yeah, and that is like while I agree with her, and I think that's a really fun way to treat it, and, and the right mindset to take to that. Investing should never be a gamble. Well, unless you see it as gambling and not as investing. Exactly right, which... and that's obviously <laughs> the way that Justine's treating it, which I'd say is a fun way to. Uh, that's that's a more fun way to approach this, if you don't care about the environmental ramifications. Story number three. This week, Nick Telstra was handed the second biggest fine in the history of Australia for breaking consumer law. It was fined $50 million after an investigation by the ACCC at the federal court for its treatment of Indigenous customers in rural Australia. So apparently five stores had engaged in exploitative practices and had manipulated 108 Indigenous Australians into signing up for phone plans that staff knew they wouldn't be able to afford Um, And these are people who had little or no reading and writing abilities, so weren't able to understand the contracts. Uh, The court found that they were taking advantage of a cultural propensity for Indigenous Australian people to express agreement as a means of avoiding conflict. This is from the court transcripts. Hmm. And uh, many of these customers were put into a debt of up to $20,000 each individually. And then we're chased by debt collectors. Did you catch this story? This was a huge one. No, no, I didn't. That's that is insane, though. That's absolutely wild. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. I I think um, one, it's interesting that such a groundbreaking thing happened in Australia this week. Two, it's an interesting story that no one really read about it. Mm. Why do you think this didn't make the news? Well, there's a little bit of conflict going on in the Middle East at the moment, Tim. I don't know if you've read up on it, but I think a few people are chewed up with the ongoing uh, issues in the Gaza Strip. Unfortunately, (laughs) I I think that that's probably the main reason. For me, that's what's dominated headlines right across the week. (laughs) Although I do agree that quite often stories like this do fall by the way side when it comes to Australia's social conscience uh, mm. or consciousness. Um, so it, it is interesting to hear it because I genuinely hadn't heard it. I guess the sad part is you saying it did not surprise me. Yeah, right. The fact that these Telstra, that Telstra was doing this. Well, all the telcos, I mean, I have uh, personally probably three or four negative anecdotes about dealing with telcos and and, mm-hmm. and telstra and telstra i've been with telstra optus and vodafone and had negative experiences with all of them and i mm-hmm. think everyone you speak to has so it doesn't it doesn't surprise me that they've engaged in exploitative behavior uh and it doesn't surprise me that that's happened against indigenous people in this country yeah and and um just to clarify it's in uh seriously remote regional communities mm. so this is not talking about bondi junction telstra yeah. um so these are out towards regional communities. This is in Arnhem Land. This is in Western Australia, far in Western Australia. Um, I've got some of the um, facts from the case. The sales staff did a bunch of pretty terrible things. Um, the findings included that they manipulated credit assessments to sign up customers who would have otherwise failed those credit assessments, which is terrible. Um, signed up single customers to multiple plans in one day. Uh, exploited customers' lack of understanding of the terms and conditions and uh, created a false impression that customers would get these devices for free. So it didn't explain. So these were plans. It wasn't prepaid situations. Uh, One thing that stands out to me about this story is you would never see this happen in America. And I don't mean 
the exploitative sales tactics. I mean the huge $50 million payout that has just happened. Oh, like being held accountable. The fact that, I, I mean, that's the other side of this story is not just that it happened, but is the fact that Telstra have been fined $50 million for it. And mm. this is a pretty amazing moment. Do you think Australia just got slightly less capitalist? Did that just happen? <laughs> well, I was about to go on a massive rant of, of, of how aggressive the sales tactics of telco agencies are and mm-hmm. how... Uh, it, it is ultimately an unfair game in Australia because when you talk about those remote communities, they only have one service provider to choose from. They only have yeah. Telstra for them. Telstra own far and away the majority of telco towers in Australia and they just lease service back to Vodafone and Optus and whatever other tiny providers might exist. So do I think we got less capitalist? No. Do I think people got held to account for intentionally violating people's rights, yes, which is a great thing. Would it happen in America? I don't know. I mean, they went, uh, like, obviously way bigger scale with way bigger ramifications, but the whole Enron thing went down um, where Enron was held to account and people people were sent to jail, not enough. But, you know, that that was a power issue in the 90s and it's similar similar in terms of talking about a commodity. Um, Do you think it would happen in America today? Probably a different America. Probably a different America. Not sure. It's a great question. I don't know. I think that I'm glad it happened in this country. It's scary that it was allowed to happen in the first place and that that culture was created. I've had friends that have worked for um, telco companies in sales and they are definitely pushed on a hard line sales approach as opposed to finding what the, what is best for the consumer. Like they are heavily incentivized to push aggressive sales tactics. This is one of the findings is that these salespeople were incentivized essentially to be taking advantage of people. Mm. Do you think that those people individually should be held accountable in some way? Or do you think that this is a company problem? I think it's a company problem. Um, You know, while there are, uh, well, if it was a case of a few bad apples, then you could probably look at that. But for it to be so widespread and systematic, I would say that this falls, uh, falls on company values. It's, it's obviously a failure of company values and, and a failure of company responsibility. And as you said, if they're incentivized, then unfortunately people, people, even people within the company, if you've ever worked in a company that has terrible culture, it, it, it is contagious. Both good and bad culture, regardless of where you work, is super contagious. And mm-hmm. and especially when you look at a lot of the salespeople that work, and, and I'm generalizing here and only speaking from my own personal experience, but a lot of the salespeople that work for telcos or a lot of people I've dealt with are people under the age of 30. They're young people. This is their first job in sales. And they are very open to being manipulated by seniors or managers. So I don't necessarily think people should be held directly to account in this circumstance, but I think it's good that it was that it was seen as a company issue and that the company is going to have to pay that hefty fine. And no doubt people will probably lose their job. But no doubt Telstra will now go, well, you were bad, bad, bad. We, we, we need to remove you from our organization. Yeah, yeah. You know what I really think is is, I mean, it's hard for me to articulate this, but what I like about this story is, I mean, we're dealing with, this is something that happened at the federal court and we're dealing with concepts that are very difficult 
to nail down in writing, and I don't believe exist um, in terms of Australian law. So, for example, taking advantage of a cultural propensity for Indigenous Australian people to express agreement as a means of avoiding conflict. This is from the statement Mm. itself. I don't think that it says anywhere in Australian law that it is illegal to take advantage of somebody who is agreeable. That's true. That's I, I don't know without being a lawyer. I don't know. No. I but am glad I, that there was that level of nuance involved in the case, though. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's definitely a part of you that goes, well, hold on. How do you make a law about this? How do you dish out a fine based on that? But then the other part of me goes, who cares? It needed to happen. Mm. This is one of the rare situations where you go, this probably, the legislation may or may not 100% exist but they actually made the right decision. So I just think that it's great to see that we have a process. And I mean, we're pretty scathing very often about the government and about our court system. And I mean, you could pick a a hundred or a thousand different (laughs) examples of of us going, well, we are so unresponsive and we are so slow. I think it's pretty amazing that the federal court was able to actually look at such a nuanced situation. It is great. Where will the fine money go? Do you know, sorry for a question without notice, but do you know where that $50 million goes? Does it go back into the coffers or? Um, I think it's uh, being used so that the federal court can all get iPhone 12s. Um, <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> They're getting a really good deal. They're getting signed up to iPads as well. Um, um, well, the ACCC was involved, so I'm assuming that it would go to the ACCC and then I think the ACCC is not for profit, so I'm not sure where that money would actually end up. All know. I'm saying is it would be a really cool statement to see that money diverted into helping Indigenous or First Nations people? So um, I've rounded it to $50 million. It's $50 million plus costs. So no. anybody who lost any money also will be gets repaid. That. That's good. Anybody that was put into any type of debt, those 108 people will be sorted out. And then I'm not sure where that $50 million goes, but you, you are 100% right. It would be great if it was correctly aimed Unfortunately, though, you don't see what what is not or what is very hard to quantify in terms of money, which we have seen with the um, robo debt fiasco, is how many people self-harmed or how many people were driven into mm-hmm. depression or how many people committed suicide because of being harassed by debt collectors who are also super aggressive in the, in, in the way they yeah. attack trying to get debt. So yeah. So look, I I would hope, and I would be, I would hope that the uh, people that were affected by this um, had great legal counsel, and and hopefully they had as a part of their costs psychological support for the rest of their life um, in their costings, because you probably would if you get chased by a debt collector for two years, that is going to have an effect on you. So well, we've I seen the outcomes those... with the robo debt situation. Yeah. People people legitimately committed suicide, which was yeah, right. which was shocking. Nick. My Nick Pick this week is The One. It's a TV show. Uh, I think it launched about three or four months ago on Netflix in Australia. Really interesting premise. It's based around uh, two people, or actually two people, well, yeah, two people that create an app uh, where you biologically get matched with your perfect partner. It's like that Black Mirror episode. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And um, and essentially it tells the story of corruption through that. And, but it intersperses really um, uh, personal relationships that have been affected by it. Uh-huh. There's some great little twists. 
Uh, and it's just, it's a well put together futury sci-fi show that I think anyone can watch and appreciate, which Netflix has I, been doing very well recently. I appreciate this recommendation because it's been coming up as one of those recommended things and mm. I haven't uh, taken a gamble on it yet. But if you say it's good, then I'll check that out. Uh, my recommendation also comes from Netflix. Uh, this week, Woman in the Window dropped and it's the new, it's like a psychological thriller. It's got Isla Fisher. It's written by Tracy Letts. Oh. Uh, Ellie, my partner, had already read the book and she was very excited to see the movie version and I had not read the book and just saw the movie and really enjoyed it. We both really enjoyed it. So whether you've read it or not, it definitely stands up. It's fun. It's a good... It it was supposed to be... It's not like blockbuster level, but it was supposed to be a cinema release. It got affected by COVID. They pushed it back. They were going to push it back again and then they instead decided to just drop it on Netflix. So... It's like a proper cinema level movie that is currently premiering on Netflix and you can see it as of this week. So Sounds good. So I would check that out. Love Isla Fisher. Love a psychological thriller. I'm keen. Okay. Uh, Nick, I will see you in a couple of days in Brisbane. I know. I'm so excited. I can't wait to pick you up from the airport, man. I am, I am genuinely really, really excited. I'm looking forward to giving you a big hug and, uh, you know, just spend, getting to spend a little bit of time with you. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. All right, catch you next week. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you are not in the Facebook group that we reference all the time, go onto Facebook, search Off Air Podcast Community, hit join. We will bring you in with open arms. Um, And we talk about a bunch of the different topics throughout the week, so we always find it interesting to hear people's perspective and often we will steal your perspective and put it in the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Off Air. Remember to like and subscribe. People are entitled to their sexual proclivities.